You are listening to the Build Your Network podcast. If you're tired of the old way of networking, the business cards, the awkward conversations, and the aggressive pitches, but you know how crucial your network is to your success in life, then you're in the right place. Welcome to Build Your Network, the only top-rated show committed to helping you master content networking, foster real relationships, increase your authority, and build the network of your dreams. Listen in on conversations with world-class entrepreneurs, authors, thought leaders, and more as we deconstruct their best strategies for your success. So get ready to burn your business cards, ditch the name tag, and discover the new way to network with your host, Travis Chappell. Welcome back to another episode of Build Your Network. Today's episode, I'm sitting down with Sean Phelan. This episode is packed with a ton of value, especially if you're in the real estate space, But as always, regardless of the industry you're in, this episode is going to have lots of value for you specifically. This episode, I sit down with Sean Phelan. He's a top-boarded mortgage expert managing a rapidly growing team in New Jersey and Georgia. He's a real estate investor and startup entrepreneur. He's a fanatic of all things real estate and finance. We talk about his journey starting at 19 in the finance world. We talk about how he grew, how he got thrown to the wolves in the early days of business, and how he has transformed his business to involve relationship building, which he attributes as being one of the keys to his success. You're not going to miss one second of this episode with Sean Phelan. All right, let's get into the episode. Hey, everybody, welcome back to the Build Your Network podcast. Sean, thank you so much for joining me on today's show. Appreciate it, Eric. Yeah, really excited to chat a little bit. Look, you started in the world of finance at 19, which is super young. What set you on that path? Were you always interested in kind of the business side? Did you have parents pushing you one specific way? Uh, was that just like a job that was open and you figured you'd give it a shot? How'd you end up in that in that world? Yeah, so it definitely wasn't a goal set and met. It's pretty wild, actually. So I had always had a drive to work. I worked all through high school, did landscaping, construction, worked in a screen printing shop um, while I was in high school as well, which is uh, pretty interesting. And then um, I got out of school. I dropped out first year of college. And, you know, my father's one of those kind of people where he says, you know, you can do whatever you want to do just take ownership of it. And if it doesn't work out, don't blame me. Right. Mm. And so I I could live with that. So we didn't have the means. I I wanted to go uh, for architecture as well. Still a passion of mine. So one thing led to another. I started working with a financial advisor. And then my uh, girlfriend at the time, who is now my wife, we found out was pregnant with her first. Mm. So I said, oh my gosh, I need to uh, (laughs) get a real job here. So I sat in the parking lot of Lowe's in Mount Olive, New Jersey, for about four hours, two days back to back on my Palm Pixie, um, if you remember those back in the day. And I applied to 63 job applications from Indeed to Monster.com. And the first two companies to call me back were actually mortgage companies. Hmm. And so I interviewed them back to back the same morning, following week. And with one at the time, uh, they were called Remen, now they're called Homebridge. And that's how I got started. Yeah. So you were originally in college for architecture? No, I was in, I was in like a small ministerial college. Um, oh, okay. That was kind of the route I was pursuing. And then after I did that for a year, I was like, you know what, I, I need to kind of, I want to still be home and like get my teeth sunk into the, to the world of business in some way, shape or form. Hmm. Yeah. That's a, that's a big jump for sure. Um, going into that position, I found myself in a very similar position. I, I lost a job right before we got, or it was actually a month after we got pregnant with my daughter. So it was a, it was a, oh no, I need to start trying to figure something out. And uh, it ended up 
working out really well. It led to some good opportunities. Um, for you emotionally at that time, how did it feel stepping into work in a position that you never expect to be working in, in a career path that you didn't know if you were interested in yet? Was it, did you feel bummed out about it? Did you feel depressed about it? Were you excited about it? What was the emotion at that time? Yeah, it was a very fast paced and probably all of those things you just described. (laughs) All within like five minutes. Yeah, exactly. On a five minute cycle, which is great for for, uh, being under pressure in a new work environment, right? Um, (laughs) Optimal for performance. But it was a little bit of, I I hate to say survival mode, but in the beginning Mm -hmm. it was, it was, you know, I need to make this thing happen. Like I've got responsibilities. I need to man up and, and take charge and and get this done. And so there was a little bit of that. Um, it was exciting too. I'm a very competitive person by nature, uh, whether it's, you know, playing tic-tac-toe or a game of checkers, it doesn't matter. <laughs> right. So being in a competitive environment really stimulated that side of me, but in the workplace before that I hadn't, that I hadn't seen before. So it was my first like real professional job where performance was rewarded, right? As much as business as you could bring in, um, there you were. But I was in an environment where, most of the folks there were in their mid to late thirties. Mm-hmm. So I was 20 at the time and, um, you know, uh, everyone was joking, Oh my gosh, he's tw- not even 21. He can't even drink yet. Right. And so I was the second youngest person actually in our entire division at the time. Mm-hmm. And so it was, you know, you're just young, you don't know. Um, you came from basically high school to working odd jobs and suddenly you're in the corporate finance world, which is a rough place. And it mm-hmm. was right after all the new regulations had been coming in. All I heard on the sales floor was, oh, my gosh, you can't make money in this business anymore. Right. I can't make five points alone. This business is terrible. What year was Why this? This is um, right at the end of 2012, beginning okay. of 2013. Gotcha. Okay. Right. So it was a, it was an interesting time. And so I'm hearing all of this, but then I'm thinking, well, it doesn't matter, man. I've got nothing left to lose. I got to I got to make right. this thing work. And so it was uh, it was very challenging, it, definitely emotionally, because you're in competition, so to speak, with folks who've been doing this 10, 12 years. The average ex- level of experience on my team at the time that I was placed on was 12 years of experience. Mm. And I had like a month, you know, <laughs> right. so, yeah. um, it, it was very challenging, but it really brought out that competitive side of me going, well, I've got 35 and four year olds telling me that oh, you shouldn't have done this. What are you doing? But I've got many other reasons to motivate myself to be can you know to be successful in this and that really kind of pushed me yeah for sure obviously the people you work with had just gone through a pretty horrific (laughs) war basically when it comes to the real estate world do you looking back do you think that the youth and you know i guess youthful ignorance in that position do you think that was a benefit because you didn't know how bad it could get really? I mean, in your gut, you didn't have that baggage there. Yeah, definitely. I'm sitting there wide eyed, just going, Oh my gosh, we got leads in. Right. You know, <laughs> right. Uh, yeah, I can make $3,000 off of this if it closes and everyone's staring at me going $3,000. What are you kidding? Right. So in my world at the beginning, it was, Hey, listen, I just want to make a good living. Right. Maybe this is a job that I can do really well in, you know, make some six figures a year. And, and this is great. I just need to mm-hmm. learn the industry and get making some money. And that definitely helped because I could just concentrate on, I need to do the one thing, which is get business in, close it and make money. And at the end of the day, I don't care whether it's a little or a lot. I just need to understand the business. Yeah. That's a, that's a great mindset going in. Um, and I'm curious, like you, you're very competitive 
fall right into this world, you're going to make it work. You know, you didn't have an option. Um, and like I said, I, I relate to that so hard. Like <laughs> once you, once you find out, Oh, positive tests, like your whole world shifts into hyperdrive to make sure that there's enough money going in. Um, so how quickly did you go from survival mode of like, I just need to make money. I need to be competitive. I need to be as good as I can be right now to make money versus getting into it. You're able to calibrate a little bit and start setting an actual goal for yourself to start saying like, this is where I want to be. This is what I want this to become over the next couple of years. When did that transition happen for you? So I would say it kind of went in phases a little bit, Eric, like in the beginning, after a couple months in the business, you start to understand. And now you can really do the math of the mm -hmm. business, right? I need to bring in this kind of business. This is where it needs to be become steady in order to make this kind of money. And here's kind of the ebbs and flows of the seasons of the year. And, you know, if the refinance market changes, here's what you're going to be looking at. So I kind of had this two-year rough outlook. But when I say it came in phases, I had that. And then um, that summer, interest rates went through the roof. You know, that was kind of when the reef that that last refi boom was over, interest rate rates went way up. And uh, we had the following the end of that year, we had one of the worst winters we ever had in Jersey to where no one was going out to see houses. The market was dead. Um, rates were very, very high. Um, the economy had just completely come into a grinding halt. You know, that was kind of the that was the aftermath of that recession. Yeah. And it took a couple of years for that to really hit. Um, people had lost uh, a ton of money in the stock market, so they, they weren't doing anything with their money. They're just kind of holding it. So that year kind of put those goals and that understanding to a halt where I thought maybe I did make a mistake, right? Now I'm about a year into the business. Oh my gosh. Um, and, and I'll be honest, I looked over the fence. I thought maybe, maybe this isn't it, right? Maybe that was just a season and now I, I need to do something else. Um, but it took me uh, probably about another two years because I went back to doing a call center model. Um, I learned that side of the business, that internet marketing really well, and then eventually got a management position about a year later after that. That that was about two and a half years into the business. So that actually kind of now set the course saying, okay, I have a direction. I have a, a good position where I can try to sink my teeth into, but it took about two and a half years. Yeah. Did you have anybody that put you under their wing or like somebody that helped guide you? Or was this totally like, I got to figure this out. It's kill or be killed kind of, kind of vibe. Yeah, no, there, I, I really didn't have a mentor other than, you know, a couple of the managers who, but you know, they were more like guys, you got to make some business happen. Right. 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 Thing, yeah. What do you have for me today? Yeah, exactly. It was not, a, it was not a how to by any means, you know, and looking back, I thought, oh my gosh, like, I can't even believe I was okay with that. Right. Mm -hmm. Now looking at other people who come into the business, guys who work for me on my team, I think like I would, I would never just throw them to the wolves like that. Like I can't, how would anybody ever survive? Um, but, uh, but we did. Um, but it was definitely a kill or be killed, uh, adapt and learn. And, um, you know, you read a lot of books, study articles, listen to podcasts and uh, try to gain what you can. Yeah, that's huge. I'm curious for people. Uh, I definitely want to talk about where you've come. But one place that's a scary, terrifying place for everybody is that moment where you're going, did I make a mistake? Did I step into this world? Did I make a mistake? Have I wasted time in this? And there's that moment of, do I keep pushing, hoping there's some gold at the end of this, or do I abandon ship, go work at a different job somewhere, go try a different path completely? For someone who's maybe listening, who's in their you know early 20s, I guess any age, but they're in that realm where they've been grinding for a year or two years and they don't see a light at the end of the tunnel. 
what advice would you give to them when it comes to auditing where they're at and deciding whether to persevere or whether to, you know, okay, I guess I wasted some time on something that wasn't worthwhile. Now it's time to check out something else. Yeah, I guess the piece of advice I would give is something that is really hard for me to take, which is you really do have to go a mile deep where you're at as much as that may be very, very difficult. And I don't I don't say that as in if you know that this isn't working out and this is not for you and there's very practical signs that are telltale signs, then it's pretty obvious. But if it's a struggle, right, and you're trying to make this work. Um, you know, there's a point where you have to put some blinders on and learn everything about your industry, learn everything about a, a sect of it that maybe you're going like, like for me at that point, I was not confident enough. I looked like I was 15. So going out to, to, you know, meet with realtors have been in the business for 15 years, already had their go-to people. No one was going to send me business. And from a practical standpoint, I said, I'm not going to do that. Right. I'm going to go on the internet marketing side where my, my face is hidden and I'm on the phone doing business all over the country. And even though that's a, a completely different model, that was what I decided to master. So I think if you're struggling with that, you need to you need to know your business and then find which piece of the industry that you know you can do well in and then go all in on that. Don't keep trying five, six different things every single time. Stick with what your instincts are, which I think comes down to really knowing yourself and being able to kind of be patient with yourself by allowing yourself to really sink into whatever piece of that industry that you gravitate towards, go all in on that. And don't just keep experimenting with different things and different ways and different methods that, that may, you may be, you know, hitting it 5% of the time on 10 different, 10 different experiments and you really succeed at none of them, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. So, so what did you gravitate toward the most? Like, what is it that lit you up and said like, okay, this is my area. This is where I'm going to carve out a piece for myself. I was always pretty good on the phone. Um, I had a little bit of sales experience the summer before I went uh, off to college and a lot of it was setting appointments over the phone and I had really good success with that, right? So one thing that I was always told was if you wanna find out where you can do well, you have to remember where you did well, right? And so I, I looked back and I thought, well, I was always really good over the phone, setting up appointments, you know, locking down those meetings with people, getting people to say yes to me over the phone. So why don't I, gravitate toward that side of the business that I know I'm good over the phone. And if I'm good over the phone, I just need to be in a model that the phone is the primary way of selling, so to speak. And and it was honestly that simple of a conclusion. Yeah, that's huge. And as far as the forward facing marketing, did you continue doubling down on that? Or was it just purely, I'm going to take my leads, master the phone call and go from there? Um, in For the first like year, it was just, I'm going to sit here at this desk with my headset on and crank it out and uh, make my first six figures. That was it, you know, um, and go all in. I'm going to learn this model like the back of my hand. And then that's what led me to being recruited because uh, my numbers were really strong. And so I got recruited to start that same division at a very traditional mortgage company. They wanted to have a division that did just that and learning that business and understanding everything from the lead flow to the budgets to what the margins were on the secondary market in rates, everything from soup to nuts, not just I want my lead and I want my paycheck, but understanding the scope of it is what allowed me to actually, you know, launch that a a year and a half later. Right. Yeah. Having that personal investment into it versus just... I want my commission check, you know, which which doesn't always lead to the most healthy work environments, as as you've kind of pointed out. I'm kind of curious now, you know, you mentioned when you got started, it was being thrown to the wolves. I was exactly how you put it. Like, I'm going to figure this out. Nobody's going to help me. They're going to ask me to hit my goals. That's pretty much it. 
so relationships weren't a big part of that early step. They, it, granted, you probably would have done even better if you'd had those early on. Uh, what role have relationships played now in your business and how crucial are they to, whether it's relationships with clients, relationships with your team, uh, how vital have relationships been over the last last couple of years? Oh, I mean, it's it's everything, right? Um, I um, the, the age old expression, you know, your network is your net worth. Um, there is a whole lot of truth to that as long as you know how to work your network the right, right way. Right. Um, but it, it's everything. The first, and, and again, you're, I, I was 21, 22 at the time, right? So I was still very, very young. Um, I didn't have a business network at all. Uh, my parents, my family were not in this realm or this arena. So I really didn't have a whole lot of people to, to lean on. And honestly, it was at a point in the industry where everybody was kind of floating and surviving on their own, right? So there wasn't sure. a whole lot of uh, collaboration, if you will. Um, so, you know, what I did, my first kind of pivotal point where I realized, wow, like relationships can actually really rocket you forward was when I had a good relationship with a gentleman uh, named Nick and he ran this call center off of a, a large wholesale company. And so he knew uh, one of my family members who had been in and out of the business for years. And then I got introduced uh, to them. And he tried to recruit me. I said, no. Then a year later, he tried to recruit me again. And I went there, uh, learned the business, um, started making some good money. And then uh, through just meeting other people in the industry, spending some time on LinkedIn, connecting with people, you know, messaging people, asking questions, and just trying to throw some hellos, how are you out there, and really talking about and talking with anybody who would know my industry. I met a recruiter, and then that's how I eventually got hired for the first management position I had, and uh, so on and so forth. So that year and a half was like pretty crucial because I realized how just two very pivotal relationships could not fast forward you, but really take the skills that you had and really enhance them, Yeah, I think would be the one for it. And then ever since then now, it's all about networking and using kind of the, the law of averages and, you know, networking your way up to better and stronger relationships in the business. I'm curious to talking about competition because you mentioned that was a big driver in the beginning. And I think for a lot of people getting into any industry, there's that element. Like I got to prove whether it's competition, whether it's I got to prove that I know what I'm doing, I can handle this, you know, there's that element to it. But one thing that I've noticed with, you know, I've worked with a lot of realtors. I've worked with a lot of, you know, I come from a media background, I work with a lot of photographers and those two industries in particular, I've noticed that people like to be islands, you know, like I do my thing, I put my head down, I crush it and I don't need you over here. And sometimes to the extreme of like, you know, there's like these infighting situations that happen within this industry. For you, do you still attribute your current success to being competitive? And what role does competition have with also having a healthy relationship with other people within the industry? Well, that's a good question. <laughs> You know, I, I definitely I would say the competitiveness has has definitely helped, but it's not just competitiveness as in I want to be better than everybody else. Right. Because even that's very subjective. Right. It's yeah. what's better. Right. Is it your knowledge base? Is it you close more loans? Is it you close less loans, but you actually make more money or mm -hmm. you only work half the time that everybody else does, but you make the same money. Right. What it is. And, and I think that's defining really what you want. So I think maybe to answer your question a different way was that the pivotal point came for me where I understood what I wanted and then I was competitive enough to understand what I needed to compete at to get there. Right. So mm -hmm. for me, I did not want to be the guy 
sitting behind a desk for 10 to 12 hours a day, grinding and grinding and grinding and having no life, right? But I just I just love mortgages so much, right? And there are guys who are like that and, and God bless them. Some of my buddies are, are, are like that and they just love it. For me, I wanted to have freedom. I wanted to put systems in place to where the mortgage business, my team ran itself, whether I was on the phone or not, right? And I could focus on what I did best and what I love best. So for me, it was having a furious competition to, hurry up and get the right people in place for the right parts on my team so that I could get the freedom I wanted to. So I was competing more against disorganization, if you will. And then it was once I got those things in place, it was now not competing against other loan officers, but it was now working a numbers game of working with realtors, networking with them, getting them to introduce me to better ones, right? And then having then kind of sell me to others and doing networking events and hosting my own. So it was now a chase of a numbers game. I need to do this many phone calls to set up this many appointments to meet with this many people to eventually get this many deals. Mm -hmm. So now it was about, I'm competing against really structuring my business. Now I'm competing against the numbers game. So it's competing really with yourself on those metrics that actually make the business run, not, not against other people. I mean, you know, I, I interviewed a guy um, a couple of years back who was and still is a number one loan officer in America. Now he did over $2 billion, right? Yes. First loan officer to ever do over a billion dollars. And to me, it wasn't competition. We talked five or six times over that time period where we were setting up the interview at a conference. And I learned a ton from him during yeah. those phone calls, um, little bits and pieces that he probably didn't realize. Yeah, right? right. So I love the collaboration. Now I don't ever look that I'm competing against somebody else. It's more of I compete at what I know I'm good at competing with my numbers and the results will follow. This episode of the show is brought to you by Indeed. We are driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate is not to search at all. It's to match and match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need this platform, guys. I'm telling you, Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work and use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging candidates so you can connect with those people even faster. And it doesn't just help you hire faster. In fact, 93% of employers agree that Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And look, guys, one of the things that I wish I would have used Indeed for is this matching service. You can search and search and search and search and search all day long, but to actually be presented with quality candidates, like 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 hiring a, a recruiter for you that's presenting people that has actually done the work to vet them and uh, bring quality people in front of you, that work by itself is the fact that it's done by a software instead of like a team of high quality recruiters is is pretty insane. So they leverage over 140 million qualifications and preferences every single day, which is why Indeed's matching engine is the best one that you can use. It's constantly learning from your own preferences. So the more you use it, the better it gets at doing the job for you. Join more than three and a half million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility over at indeed.com slash Travis. Just go to indeed.com slash Travis right now and support this show by saying you heard about Indeed here on the podcast. Indeed.com slash Travis. Terms and conditions apply. If you need to hire, you need Indeed.
Yeah, that's huge. I, I was listening to a podcast uh, the other day from uh, Vince Del Monte, who's in the fitness space. And one of the things that he talked about that I thought was really cool is like people defining success, you know, will think, oh, I'm doing great because I'm doing better than everyone else who's doing good. So basically his whole point was that, you know, greatness isn't defined by beating good. It's not just being better than the average. You know, there's a lot of people you can look at. It's it's when you start setting your own goal and then setting standards that match that, you know? So like you said, for you, freedom is huge. For me, that's the same way. Like I don't, you know, I respect a lot of people who can make a large amount of money. Um, but the people that do that where they just stockpile it and they don't have any life outside of making money, I don't understand it. Like, I don't get that drive at all. Like to me, money is a tool to give me freedom to hang out with my daughter, to hang out with my wife, to go travel, to do all those sorts of things. And so setting your own personal, you know, level of success is really, is really special and really key. Um, you know, before we transition to really asking the biggest question I love to ask on the show, um, one thing I want to know is, you know, self-improvement is obviously huge. Setting your own standards is huge. Developing yourself is huge. Uh, but you also mentioned hiring a team that can take things off your plate so you can focus on your core strengths. How much time do you think someone should take to invest in areas where they're weak uh, versus taking time quickly to get that off their plate and given to somebody else? Because there's two schools of thought. One is that I'm going to build up my knowledge on every area of the business. So I know when someone's, you know, screwing me over or someone's messing something up. The other school is don't spend any time on the Gary Vee mentality. Don't spend any time wasting it on things you don't know how to do and focus on the one thing you do really well. Where do you kind of fall in that, that line of thinking? So I'll reference two books, right? Um, not being paid to promote either one of these, um, but um, send me an affiliate link for the books on Amazon. We'll we'll get yeah, into yeah, the show notes. Yeah, drop it right here. But uh, no, you know, um, there is, and and I and I understand the whole Gary Vee school of thought, which I think it depends upon the industry that you're in. Sure, yeah, um, the one I'm in is a very complex one. It's got changing guidelines. You have probably. 18 different people from inside the mortgage company to the inspectors, to the attorneys, the realtor, myself, my assistant, my in-house processor, the underwriter, touching this transaction to where you have to know what's going on. Yeah, you have to understand the process. There's no way you can be great at your job without understanding the process. Now, understanding the process and being a part of every step of it are two very different things. You know, in the beginning, I did everything from organize and label the documents and put them into this LOS system and click the buttons to transfer from one to the other. Right now, I have folks who do that for me because that is $20, $15, $30 an hour work, right? So the two books that really changed my thinking on it were The One Thing, right, by Gary Keller, and then um, Rocket Fuel. So both of those, both of those books kind of take a look at the same thing. The one is about you know, what's the one thing that you can do that would either make everything, uh, you know, either remove the problem, right, or make it a lot easier to solve. I'm paraphrasing, of course. And then rocket fuel is really about the two elements that create combustion, right? Having a visionary, then having an integrator, right? What mm -hmm. I realized is I am probably about 20% integrator and 80% of visionary, right? Mm -hmm. I like to chase. I like to see. I like to create. I like to research and figure it out and see what could be. Right. But I it's exhausting for me sometimes to do the same work. Right. Yeah. So for me, I think in my industry, you need to understand all of the steps in my particular industry. But you've got to be able at some point to invest and to say anything that I basically can pay somebody 
and there's financial metrics in my world about this, but I can pay somebody anywhere from about, you know, 40 bucks an hour or below to do. I'm just not touching, yeah. you know, because the relationships are what make the money and mm-hmm. what bring it in the skill set that follows. So that needs to be my number one concern that and the marketing to continue to bring those clientele in and to keep them in. Once we have them, those two things are my concern. Right. I manage the general operations of our team, but the day to day paperwork chasing and and processing of it and following up with operations. I have an operations manager who has been with me for several years and he's amazing at it. He started off as my assistant, but I really invested a lot of time with him in those that early year. And now he's learned it and he's that integrator piece for me. So I can focus on the one thing. Yeah. How how do you mitigate the fear that so many have when investing a lot in say an assistant or someone who's in a role that, you know, maybe you understand, but you're not, you know, ultimately super strong in, uh, you know, sometimes there's people who get scared that if they invest too much in someone, they're going to, you know, take that knowledge and go do their own thing, or they're going to go take that knowledge and over, you know, overshadow you become the best, like, have you ever struggled with that kind of emotion? And if so, how do you mitigate that? If not, what's your secret to that? Because a lot of people have that, I think whether it's ego or whether it's just that scarcity mindset of like, how do I replace this person? They're scared to really give their team the tools they need to, to be great. I think your own, and and again, I it could be different for the industry. Obviously, there's, sure. there's everybody has different value in different industries, right? In mine, um, especially in this real estate industry, the investing of it, mortgages, all that 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 piece. Um, I I did have that a little bit when I first started my branch because I was like, oh man, like I, like I need to make sure that I'm okay first because like. I support, which is a practical stance on it. Um, but I, I hired a business coach for about a year and a half. And I was even that way with even my relationships. I'm like, I don't want nobody talking to anybody that I deal with or, right. you know, I don't want yeah. to, you know, I need to kind of protect and shield and all that. Um, and he told me flat out, he said, you need to knock that off. Right. He goes, he said, what can nobody know? Is there not going to be any collaboration between the people you do business with? Like how, how short-sighted is that? And he used the same term that you had, that scarcity mindset that there's never enough to go around. There's never enough people. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm a numbers guy, right? And so the way he broke me of it was he just, he broke down, listen, there's 8,000 realtors at the time in the county that you're in, right? There's so many loan officers, right? There's so many builders, right? Tens of thousands of transactions were closed in just the past quarter, right? Look at the amount of business that's out there. And you need to understand that it's just a matter of focusing on going after the right kind of business the right way and not being worried and scared that if you invest into a person that they're going to take those methods. Now I I, I give these guys, I give it all to them, right? And they could get up and they could walk away. But to me, Again, um, that's their choice. Uh, everybody's got their journey ahead of them in life and whatever they're going to do, they're going to do. Right. Um, I think I will win more people over by giving the best of me to somebody rather than um, trickling out the parts to manipulate them to get them to do what I want to do. It was yeah. a very rudimentary way of saying it, but that's that's what I believe. Yeah, well, that's healthy. <laughs> that's a lot better and better for someone to leave feeling like they were constricted and escaped, you know, versus like, oh, I worked for that guy. I do something totally different, but he was amazing. You know what I mean? Like that's a totally different, different perspective there. I, I got to ask this question because you've talked about skill set, education so much, but you also mentioned relationships are everything, you know, there's, that's so valuable. 
we ask everybody that comes on the show, do you believe that who you know or what you know is more important and why you're smiling? I feel like you're prepared for this question. What is the the one that you would say is the most important within business? In my line of work, who you know for certain. For certain. You know, I mean, if I had, obviously both are important, but if I had to choose right. it, it'd certainly be um, who you know. Um, and, I, and I And I don't, to clarify, I don't say like, you just need to know important people. And magically, if you hang out with them, you know, your life's going to be better, right? You know, who you surround yourself with does affect you. But it's not just it's not just for surrounding yourself with better people. It's who you know, who the kind of people, you know, right? Mm-hmm. The people who are loyal, the people who have the same business values. I talk to my guys um, and it's not just about knowing somebody who's a good producer, but it's knowing somebody who has the same type of outlook on their business and understanding of the industry that you do. Um, some of our key referral partners, they all have teams themselves. I like working with heads of teams because I'm the head of a team. So they, I can understand their perspective and they can understand mine. They understand why my assistant and my staff are taking care of certain things. They're not calling me up going, well, how come you're not all over this? Why? Because mm-hmm. they're, they've graduated to the same place that I'm in and we're both moving forward together. Right. So when I say it's not just, it's, it's who you know, it's who you know, and are they in the same place? Are they going the same direction? Do they have the same business mindset that you do? And are you aligned that way? So not just about level of importance, but also about the philosophy of who you're doing business with. Yeah. Yeah. That's huge. Um, I, I, the last question I'll ask before we move into our random round, I, I know there's, like you said, there's, it can be a peaceful thing thinking there's this many realtors, there's this many brokers, there's this many loan officers, there's this many, you know, fill in the blank in my area. Um, but it can also be overwhelming for someone new to the industry. And, you know, you said you're young when you started, you're young now. I mean, people, you're, you're, a, you're a young guy in this world and there's people that have been in it for a long time. And uh, for all the people out there that are, that are new in this space, we'll speak specifically to real estate because uh, I, I want to keep it uh, specific to that industry. There's a lot of guys going, how do I add value to people who, you know, have been in this for 30 years, who have been in this for 40 years, who have relationships built? How do I stand out as one of thousands of people, you know, trying to get business, trying to do work? Yes, there's a lot out there, but trying to build the relationship that leads to it can be intimidating. How do you audit yourself as a young person in that world and find where you can add value to someone? Yeah, I mean, I'll say what I what I coach our guys to do. And an example I'll give is um, when I when I pivoted away from the whole call center um, uh, model, and I said, "Oh my gosh, I need to um, I need to get my relationships because that whole thing ended." And I just swore I would never never take a corporate salary ever again to to run my life ever. Um, I got a little burned by it, and so I said, "I'm going to go out there and get my own business from my own relationships." That that the only person who can end it is me, uh, yeah. so to speak. Right. And so, um, what I did then the market was quite slow at the time. Um, mm-hmm. but, um, a lot of, a lot of the agents were a little bit older in the market that I was in. So I paid a few thousand dollars and, um, learned two different social media courses on lead generation actually, mm-hmm. um, because I understood lead generation with doing, uh, the call center model. And, um, I would show these realtors and sit them down, create a Facebook page for them. I would spend a few bucks on them and I would run social media ads for them for buyers mm-hmm. leads. And so we would get a few in them and, you know, most of them didn't really turn out to anything, but what it did is it set me apart because what other mortgage lender out there was looking there, sitting down and saying, Hey, listen, I want to do business together. You know, you've got good numbers and everything, but here's what I'm going to do. I want to try to contribute to you. This is free to you. 
I just ask that we can, you give me a shot here, but I'm going to try to generate some business. So, you know, within a week we would generate them, you know, a few leads, they would call them, some would work out, some wouldn't. Um, but that very, very quickly separated me and would get me the yes over the phone that I needed to sit down with somebody who was very experienced, had a team, had people. And sometimes it wasn't a, you know, you can work with the head honcho. It's listen, I have a couple new guys. They're pretty good. This sounds like something more that they would like, but it opened the doors for me. Yeah. Right. And gave me the opportunities I needed to to do exactly what we're talking about, building your network and building those relationships and proving that you do have value. Right. And you're not just there to, to, to collect it. So for the other guys, I always say the question that you asked is the question that they should be asking. What value can I add? What can I bring? Um, and that changes per market. Right. Just like marketing and just like mm-hmm. um, promotions of what we do for our business. So like right now in the marketplace, uh, interest rates have gone through the ceiling. Uh, the Fed funds rate just was announced that there's a, r- a rate hike and seven more to come just this year, um, which is amazing. So interest rates are going to go through the ceiling and they already are today. So for any guys who are newer in the business, you need to understand this and they need to be able to educate themselves on it and be able to communicate that to the referral partners so that they can communicate those uh, that knowledge down to the customer. Right. I think the day of just being able to pick up your phone, have the best rate, which is what it's been for the past two years, is suddenly yeah. gone. Now the day of being the expert on the market, what's going to happen and being able to educate the consumer in a meaningful way is suddenly back, yeah. right? So now knowledge um, about the industry, forecasting what's going to happen, being able to understand real statistics, real numbers, what appreciation was like in such and such a market on the, on the waterfront, as opposed to where it's at today, all of that knowledge base is very important because what it tells you as a consumer and as a realtor is that this loan originator, this loan officer doesn't just say, I got great rates. Well, nobody's got great rates right now. <laughs> they all suck. You know, everybody can process well because the volume is half of what it was for the past two years. And we have double the staff, right? What else can we do? So it's um, understanding their needs, having them give you feedback, but also being a subject matter expert on what the current um, what the current events are and being able to educate the referral partner and educate the consumer as well. Well, Sean, you've given a lot of great value. We're going to have to wrap up here in just a second. But first, I want to take you through our random round, ask you a couple of quick questions so people can get to know you just a little bit better. Uh, so they'll miss you more when we close out the episode. First and foremost, what profession other than your own do you think it'd be fun to attempt? Oh man, probably anything in sports hmm. as a player. I mean, I'm a, I'm a five foot seven, 150 pound guy. So that probably has never, ever been in the, uh, in the cards for me, but anything in sports, anything competing out there on a field or a, or, or a basketball court or something like that. Man. Yeah. Love it. If you could sit on a park bench with anybody past or present, who would it be and why? Tom Brady, probably ultimate competitor. Um, absolutely passionate about his craft. I saw an interview with him and he was talking about what made him so passionate. And he stopped and he said, you know, he said, every day, all I think of is throwing that perfect pass. How can I throw that perfect pass again? And how can I make that pass better and more perfect as I'm stumbling, as I'm rolling out of the pocket, as I'm in the, and his one thing is literally throwing that perfect pass. That is his job is to throw that perfect pass. So his research on defense is his athletic training, his diet, everything he's done is all about throwing that perfect pass mm-hmm. and just seeing his passion for the game and seeing his drive to perfect his craft. I'd love to sit and hear his mentality, his mindset, all of that. 
What is your favorite way to learn? Is it podcast books, masterminds? What's your favorite way to, to get new information? If you're talking about any kind of media, probably a podcast or an ebook, something I can just listen to and kind of digest on a on a long drive or you know while I'm doing something. Um, but I, I I mean, if the scope's broader than that, definitely one on one. Yeah. Uh, give me a glimpse of your morning routine. Uh, it varies. <laughs> um, it varies. We do some capital raising for some of our other uh, projects at Tech Venture. We're raising capital for real estate ventures and other things like that. So I may be out till two, three o'clock in the morning. Um, I'm I'm sorry. I'm just not one of those people who says I can still get up at 4.30. It's just not going to be me. Not ever going to be me. So it varies, but the essence of it is still the same. Um, get up. I kind of uh, you know sit and do nothing for about 15 to 20 minutes, gather my head, gather my thoughts, you know, see the messages that are pouring in on my phone or whatever it may be, kind of get my bearings on what what needs to be prioritized throughout the day, what I have on my schedule, um, you know, then immediately uh, get dressed. And I probably have um, one of my 18 cups of coffee right away and, and head out the door and, and get going. Love it. What's your go-to pump-up song? I don't know. I, I, you know, I don't really have one to be quite honest with you. Really, um, I don't, I don't get jacked up on music like a lot of guys do. Yeah. To me, I actually like to read more about somebody inspiring. That usually gets me wound up because it's something I aspire to be like. Um, as dumb and lame of an answer as that may be, <laughs> that really is it. I, I probably get more pumped up listening to a podcast or an ebook than anything else. Love it. What's something that you're not very good at? Any anything that is very um, very tedious, you know, sitting there pouring over a document, going line by line, highlighting it, anything like that. That's very very tedious. I'm probably bad at bad at being emotionally uh, available, which is definitely something I've uh, gotten better at. I think I've gotten better at with uh, a wife and four daughters, but uh, I'm more of a get it done. It is what it is. Mow right through it kind of a person, um, which is probably why tedious tasks are I'm terrible at because I'd rather just get to the conclusion of the matter and not figure all the little uh, bits and pieces out. But definitely those two things for sure. Love it. And uh, last question, what's the number one place online where people can connect with you the most? Probably Instagram is probably the easiest way. It's Fallon, my last name, P-H-A-L-O-N underscore F-W-D forward. So Fallon underscore forward uh, on Instagram. Love it. Love it. Well, thank you so much for joining me on today's episode and for sharing so much knowledge. I really appreciate it. And uh, anyone who's listening, be sure to connect with Sean uh, over on Instagram. Go ahead and follow the username. It is in the link for this, for these show notes. And uh, Sean, thanks so much for coming on. Appreciate it. Appreciate it, Eric. This is awesome. Thanks so much. Thank you. That's it for this episode. If you want to connect with Travis and other like-minded people who also listen to the show, then you're going to want to head over to travischapel.com slash group to join his free Facebook group, Podcast to Profit. Travis will see you there. And remember to leave every relationship better than you found it. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.